0: Uh, we're looking at Parsha Vayetse. One word about Parsha Vayetse, although Parsha Vayetze deserves a lot of words, is Parsha Vayetse begins with a story of Yaakov, uh, traveling, leaving Beershev on his way to Haran. And, uh, it is all one the Torah, meaning if you open up a Sefer Torah, there are no Parsha breaks in the entire Parsha Vayetse. As a kriya that's a little bit of a challenge. And it ends with Yaakov on his way back from Haran having an encounter with Malachim and renaming the place Machanaim, just as on the way out, he had an encounter with Malachim and renamed the place Beitel, in the famous scene. Subsequent to his arrival in Haran, he has negotiations with Lavan. By the way, just before his encounter with Malachim, on the way out, he has negotiations with Lavan. And if you take a look at it, we did this a few years ago, you see that the entire Parshat Vayetze is one story, which is arranged chiastically so that it's A versus A1, B versus B1, etc., and the middle point where things turn around is the birth of Yosef. But I want to focus in on one particular component of the story in the Shi'ur, which is, I titled it, Who Knew What and When? And normally I give a little bit of an overview and an introduction of the parsha, but there's a lot to talk about, <coughs> and I, I want to get right to the point. <clears throat> the question is, who knew what and when? About the swap of wives, right? Now, if I were to ask the average person on the street who knew about the swap of wives in advance, what would your answer be? Nobody. Nobody knew about it. Levon didn't know about it. What Not would be, what would be your answer? If I asked you, the average guy on the street, what would their answer be? Levon knew. So Levan certainly knew, and I will suggest that the average person on the street would say that Rachel and Leah knew, based on the fact of a very popular Midrash. We're going to take a look at it, but let's take a look at the text first. All right, the first Epsukim, I'm going to just summarize. Yaakov, after his vision in Beitel, makes his way to Haran, encounters some other shepherds out there, asks how Levan is doing. Here's Levan, here's his daughter, Rachel. He sees Rachel, he... Uh, and now we'll pick it up. Odena with the very mom. He's talking to the shepherds. Ba'a or as We say it in our house, ba'a imatzon, asher ki ro'ahi. All right, she's coming with the flock. She is the shepherdess. V'hik asher ra'a Yaakov, achimo, There's a lot of emphasis here on who everybody is, the the who Rachel is. Rachel's his cousin, and she has his uncle's sheep, and he, ta- he waters the sheep of his uncle. A lot of emphasis on family here. Okay. But not for today's year. Yaakov kisses Rachel, and then he raises his voice and he weeps. So he introduces himself. By the way, this is interesting because the last guy to show up, and be involved with water at the well. Also, put a lot of gold on a the girl. Then asked who she was. This time, he gives her a kiss and asks who she was afterwards. All right. And she runs off and tells her father. Now, Yaakov is clearly head over heels over Rachel. All right. Rachel, after having this interaction, and then the stranger come up and uh, give her a kiss, she runs off and tells her father. And in what's an eerie replay from the scene when the slave arrived, Lavan again comes running out, but this time he's not running out to some strangers bearing a lot of wealthy gifts. But he hears that his nephew Yaakov is there. <laughs> he embraces him. By Albito, brings him to his house. By Saper Lavan, it called And Yaakov tells him everything that happened. We're not sure what the, everything is. I stole a bracha from Asab. So I had to run away to save my life, or I was on the road and I saw a vision, or I got here, I'm I'm here to, uh, to, you know, to visit the family, and we're not sure what he told him. Okay. So he says, Oh, your family stay here. So he stays for a month. You're my brother, which means you're not a slave. You're my brother. So please tell me what you want for payment for watching the sheep. Stevanot. Here we go. Laban has two daughters. Rachel. All right. Now we already met Rachel. And so did Yaakov. Leah's eyes are soft. What does that mean? That's a whole other piece by itself, whether it means her eyes are soft because she's very girly girly and she doesn't go outside and she <coughs> and she has very dainty features. Or does it mean, like the Midrash says, that she's crying all the time? Or does it mean that these are the most attractive things about her, or the opposite? And maybe Leah is drop-dead gorgeous except for her eyes. All right? Rachel is a knockout. Right. So what does he say to Lavan? I'll work for you for seven years for Rachel and it makes it clear, Rachel B'chak tana, which, by the way, becomes a phrase in halachic literature later on when you want to say every jot and every tittle, every dot, every I, cross every T, Rachel B'chak Tanah. Vayom better, she should marry you than somebody else. Not exactly a ringing endorsement for your future father-in-law, but you could do worse. All right, so stay here. So they make the agreement, and this, by the way, is odd. Yaakov works for seven years, and it's like very few days because he loves her so much. I don't know, I think it's usually the opposite, like to stretch out forever. But he's so in love with Rachel, he works for seven years, and they go by in a flash. So Yaakov says to Laban, give me my wife, my time has come, I want to enter her. It may mean just be with her, it may mean actually sexually. But in any case, it's a little bit of a... And Chazal point out, this is a little bit of a pedestrian way to talk, a little beneath what we would consider from Yaakov. In any case, let's get to the scene. So Levan assembles all of the townsfolk in and they make a party. What happens that evening? He brings Leia, his daughter, and he brings her to him. And Yaakov has relations with her. We're going to come back to this. Lavan gives her sh- Zilpah, his Shivcha, Leavito Shivcha, which means Zilpah passes from the ownership of Lavan to the ownership of Leah. And you've got to wonder what's what's the purpose of a Shifcha. We'll come back to that. He wakes up in the morning Boom, bo, it's Leah. If you're at Lavan, he doesn't yell at Leah, he yells at Lavan. What did, what did you do to me? I worked for you for Rachel. Why did you trick me? Now notice what's said, but notice what's not said. We don't do such things in our place to give, put the younger before the elder. The elder wasn't married yet. Give this girl her week, meaning give Leah her week. And then I'll give you the other one. Notice the other one. He doesn't mention the names of either of his daughters. Um, and then you'll work for me for another seven years. Okay? So he works for seven years, gets married twice within a week, in eight days, and then works for another seven years. So Yaakov does that. He gives Leah her week of celebration. And then he gives him Rachel. And again, he gives one of his shvachot in Bilha. To Rachel as a Shifcha. He has relations now with Rachel and he prefers Rachel to Leah. And then he works for another seven years. That's the story. We all know the story. Several things that we have to presume or assume in this story. One of them is that um, the party was a separate party, meaning the men were sitting with the men, or everybody was sitting, everybody, and the and the bride was elsewhere. Either all the women were together, or the bride was elsewhere, and only later on was the bride brought to her husband for the first time in a private, darkened room. Because otherwise, there's no such thing as in the morning suddenly she's laid out. Okay, but that's not our problem. The question I want to ask is: Who knew about this? Who knew about this deception? that Lavan was giving Leah instead of Rachel. And by the way, this deception is absolutely huge in Jewish history. Because if this does this deception doesn't happen, and Yaakov marries Rachel, then Yaakov marries only Rachel, and that means whatever kids he have are all the children of Rachel, or Rachel's handmaid. And then they get along however they get along, but all of the squabbling that happens because of Yosef doesn't happen, and we don't end up in Mitzrayim. I mean, Chazal often point the finger at Yaakov in different ways for causing us to end up in Mitzrayim, having to do with the favoritism of Yosef. So that may be why Lavan made it into the Seder. That Lavan, by pulling this switch, ended up trying to destroy everything because having two sisters as co-wives is destructive. So the question is, who knew about this deception? How many options do we have? Well, how, let's start with this. How many players are there in the story? How many actors are there in this story? At least four. There's four, right? There are four. There's Yaakov. There's Lavan. There's Rachel. There's Lea. Right? I'm not going to talk about the townspeople right now. Now, if there are four people, just a little bit of math. If there's four people, what? How many different options are there as to who was aware of what was going on? Okay, I'll I'll save you the time. It's 16. It could be all four new. It could be none of the four new. It could be, and then you go from there. Work it out on your own. 16 different options. But that's not true. There aren't 16 different options. Because who are we absolutely sure did not know about this? Yaakov. Right. And who are we absolutely sure did know about this? Lavan. Good. So there's really only about three different options left, four different options left. Either Rachel and Leah both knew. Rachel and Leah didn't know. Rachel knew but Leah didn't know. Leah knew but didn't Rachel didn't know. All right. So let's play with the one and one. Is it possible that Rachel knew about the deception and Leah didn't know? It's possible. It's possible. But it would be a little difficult only because what would Rachel have been doing in the month or so leading up to this date? She would have been getting ready for her wedding and talking about Yaakov, the guy she was going to marry and whatever, whatever kind of anticipation or anxiety or whatever she had, she'd be talking about it. So Leah would hear that. So it's a little difficult to to... It's not impossible, but it's a little difficult to accept the idea that Rachel knew about this deception. I'm sorry, that that Rachel knew about this deception and Leah didn't. How 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 could Leah not know about the deception? Go ahead. How could Leah not know about the deception? Why is that, Kurt? Well, she's, (laughs) instead of sleeping alone, she's sleeping with somebody. Right. So, you're arguing that Leah must have known about this deception, in which case Rachel certainly knew about the deception, because Rachel's not sleeping with anybody, right? Uh Correct? Presumably. Okay, good. So so let's take a look, and I will tell you why most people, again, when you stop on the street, will argue that everybody knew about this, and the only person in the world who didn't know what was going on was Yaakov. All right? Uh, I'll support that. Here we go. Let's start with we talked about this um, last week. But yeah. You could distinguish between her knowing before the deception and at the moment, because Levant could have said to her, Go at the last moment, where she would have had no clue about any of it. Who? Leia. Uh, isn't she going to get dressed in some way? No, so you... I'm saying she would know at that moment, but I'm saying, meaning she didn't plan the deception. We have no way of knowing that. I'm not saying planning it, but was she aware at some point, five minutes, ten minutes in advance right. that she was going to be going in as a as a deception? Meaning, right. Yaakov is going to expect somebody else. And in the meantime, it's going to get me. Okay. Okay. So the conventional wisdom is that Levan, Litley, and Rachel wrote in on it, and Yaakov is the only one. When they <laughs> found out, it's a different story. I'm not dealing with that. Did Yaakov did Levan tell Rachel? after one year, or did Yaakov tell Rachel a month before, or did Yaakov Rachel tell, Rachel, tell Rachel the day before? I don't know. But, okay, so now, take a look at the Targum, and it's a pop, popular Midrash. Remember, Targum Hamiyuchas Li Yonatan, which is probably a 12th to 13th century uh, Targum, Midrashic Targum, incorporates many of the popular Midrashim. So I want to start there. So in the morning, Yaakov looks at her and behold, it's Leah. Why? All night he thought it was Rachel. Why? Right, this is not the earliest place that shows up, but the first place I want to show you. Because Rachel had handed over to Leah all of the things <coughs> Yaakov had told her. Meaning... Going back and the Midrash develops that when Yaakov first met Rachel and he said, I want to marry you, her response was, and Rashi carries this all the way through his Perush, her response was, fine, I want to marry you too, but please know my father is very tricky. And so Yaakov gave Rachel some sort of a code. So that on on that night, when they already knew that it was going to be dark, Rachel would say the code and Yaakov would know that it was her. And what happened? Rachel handed that code over to Leah. Which means, by the way, now, everybody's in on it except Yaakov, right? Okay. Um, in the Midrash Agada, which is a Midrash, a uh, 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 slightly later Midrash on Brashit, you have the, the same uh, idea shows up. <laughs> Now, this is on a later pasuk that's going to be critical for our our discussion later on. And we'll come back to this Midrash when we see that pasuk. But you see that this idea of the simanim, the secret code that Rachel gave to Leah, is something that they're both aware of. Now, I want to show you um, another piece of the puzzle, which is just a remarkable Midrash. The Midrash, Breshit Rabbah, on our pasuk of the party... I'm going to summarize the first part and then show you the last and the end of it. And it's a killer. Um, in it, it says that Lavan gathered all of his people, and he said to them, we have done very well for the last seven years because of Otot Sadiq. He's pointing to his son-in-law, Yaakov, who's come here. Because of him, we've been blessed. We don't want him to leave, do we? We want him to stay, don't we? I, I'll show you how I can get him to stay for another seven years. Here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to be in on this and help me get Leah in there. All right and and then when he realized Leah cuz I know he loves Rachel more he's going to want Rachel and I'll make a deal and he'll have to stay for another 7 years so they're all in on it now there's one line here that's just really cool if you take a look that during the wedding feast they were praising Yaakov and singing Halaya Halaya, like hallel but what they're really saying is it's Leah it's Leah <laughs> and he didn't get it it's a really cool little piece. Now, watch what happens in this piece that he does. It's just such a mind-blower. Take a look. We'll pick up from here. In the bed. All night, Yaakov was saying, Rachel, Rachel. The Anya land, she was responding. Leah was responding, but she was saying yes. Then he was saying Rachel. He was cooling Rachel. Yes, yes. But In the morning, he wakes up, and behold, it's Leah. So now there's a conversation that Midrash puts in here. Amala maramita bat rama you deceptive girl the daughter of a deceptive man. La balaya la kamina Rachel biatani all night i called you Rachel and you answered. Amrale etsa part lately told me name doesn't a barber have students who cut his hair meaning who are you to to put who's calling the kettle black. Lo ka hay tu ba'akh abakh esab va'atani mai and the whole time, your father was saying "Yisav, and you said "Me." The midrash sees the deception of the de- deliberate deception of Leah on Yaakov as being payback for Yaakov deceiving Yitzchak and saying "I'm Esav." It's a wild midrash; it's great. Um, parenthetically, there's just—I just pointed this out. There's a halacha that we learned from this story. Remember that Lavan said to Evanor from Lavan. Lavan said to Yaakov, Give her her week, and then you can marry Rachel. Right? So, simcha you're not allowed to mix smachot. That's why you're not allowed to have a wedding on Cholamoid. Every simcha deserves its own place. And therefore, she has to have a full seven days of celebration, and then you can marry Rachel. Okay, fine. I want to show you how powerful this midrash of the simanim, this midrash. Of the secret signs that Yaakov and Rachel shared, that Rachel handed over to Leah, how powerful that is. And by the way, how old it is. We saw it in a very late Midrash. But now we're taking a look at Echoram. Echoramba is a very early Midrash. It's fourth, fifth century. And in this Midrash, uh, Echoramba, by the way, is, uh, I've told you before, is perhaps the most beautiful collection of Midrashim that we have. Tragedy always befits, begets great creativity and, and elegance in, in literature. And um, Midrash Echa Rabbah has 36 or 37 introductory paragraphs, we call them proems, or Ptichtaot, that were used to introduce the public reading of Echa. And in Tichta number 24, it's very long, this is just the end of it, God is going to destroy the Jewish people. And Abraham comes before God and says, "Please look at what I did at the Akedah. Please." And God ignores him. Yitzchak comes in, Yaakov comes in, Moshe comes, Aaron comes, everybody comes. And finally, of course, the Midrash saves the best for last. Look at this. You know that Yaakov loved me very much. He worked for my father for seven years just for me. When I was supposed to marry him. Father convinced me or asked me to swap with my sister. I was very bothered. Right? When I knew about it. He said, she said, at that point, I found out. So I told Yaakov, let's make a secret code. So father doesn't pull this shtick. In other words, the code now, according to this Midrash, was set up just before the wedding because she knew that he was going to play stick. I, I changed my mind and I withheld my own lust. I had compassion for my sister that she shouldn't be embarrassed. Because what will happen? Leia will come in. She won't know the code. Yaakov's going to throw her out. It'll be, she'll be shamed. And that night they swapped my husband. They swapped me. And I gave my sister all of those secret codes. So he'll think I'm Rachel. And then she says... And with that schut, save the Jewish people, and God responds and does do it. And that's, of course, the famous passage in Yomitra, <coughs> Kol Beramani Nishma, etc. All right? This shows up, like I said, Rashi quotes this piece about the Simanim, and uh, and um, and uh, that that's how Yaakov thought it was late, Rachel all night, then in the morning he realized Leah. okay. So, like I said, if you were to ask the average guy on the street who knew about this deception, the answer would be Lavan, Rachel, and Leah. Were they all willing and complicit? Rachel, maybe, maybe not. But one way or the other, Rachel did cooperate by giving the simanim, and Leah was also in on. it. Which means, by the way, the whole time, Leah knows that she's not really the preferred wife. She's not even the wife. And Rachel certainly knows she's the preferred wife. She's the one who's the real wife, but she's going to have to wait or maybe give it up totally because of her sister's place in the family and her sister's honor, et cetera. And that's certainly one way to look at it. The problem is that the psukim seem to go against that, and I'll show you what I mean. Later on, there's a story. Yaakov and Leah and Rachel all married. Yaakov's married to both of them. And um, Yaakov um, has already had two children, Bilha, Don and Aftali, had two children, with Zilpah, Gad and Asher. And then there's a story. Ruvain is already a young man, a kid, whatever. He goes out to the field and he picks some, perhaps mandrakes, picks some flowers. He's Leah's son. He comes home and brings him to Leah. What happens when he does that? Look at source 7. Give me some of the mandrakes of your son. What does Leah say back? We have to listen very carefully. It's not enough that you took my husband. Leah is saying this to Rachel. It's not enough that you took my husband. You're also going to take my mandrakes? Which sounds very, very uh, petty until you find out how important these mandrakes were to them, aphrodisiac, or whatever it might be. So Rachel then says to Leah, okay, you know what, tonight's my night with Yaakov, I will forego my night, you can have Yaakov tonight, which by the way, eerily takes us back to the opening scene, Yaakov coming thinking he's going to sleep with Rachel, sleeps with Leah, but... What does it mean when Leah says to Rachel, not enough, you took my husband? Couldn't Rachel turn around and say the same thing? Matter of fact, couldn't be she the one who says it, says it? You I, you are you took my husband. He was supposed to be my husband. And instead you got him. At least give me the flowers. Notice Rachel doesn't respond to this. Look at this forno here. Hamad what does Leah mean? You should not have agreed to marry him as the second wife. Because having two sisters married, later on the Torah forbids it, two sisters married to the same man is a terrible idea. So you sort of took him away, and you're my sister. You shouldn't have done that. But of course, there's something much deeper here. What do you mean? I'm the one who was supposed to marry him, Rachel says. Very strange. Yes. Yeah. Can you I know that you can affect marriage through Bia, but does there have to be intent? Yeah, that's another whole question here, which I'm not gonna touch on okay. how the how the marriage with Leia is even valid because Yaakov thought it was Rachel. Good point. Right. Good point. But I'm not gonna touch that right now. I mean it's before nice. my tongue, Torah, I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> now, there's another piece to the puzzle because in this well, let let's start with this. We're gonna come back to the last piece i like to make a very different proposal to understanding what happened here. But to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, the opening piece that I showed you, which is the major text of the whole negotiations leading up to the wedding. When did Yaakov meet Rachel? He met, him, met her when he first arrived, and he went head over heels, and then a month later, he's sitting and talking with Lavan, and he makes a deal to marry uh, uh, Rachel for working for seven years. In the meantime, Leah's there, and Leah's a slightly older, we don't know how much older, older sister. How much did Yaakov and Rachel have to do with each other over the course of the next seven years? The answer is we have no idea. But there's a bigger question here. What did Rachel know about the conversation between Lavan and Yaakov? I'd like to propose a different way of reading this, which which is consistent with the text, because it's a very different view. Yaakov is nuts about Rachel. We got that. And he's not as nuts, shall we say, about Leah. Yaakov and Lavan sit down. Lavan says, I'd like you to work for me, but I'd like to pay you something. What can I pay you? So Yaakov says, I'd like to marry Rachel. Lavan says, okay. Who knows about this deal? I'd like to suggest that Yaakov and Lavan are the only two people who know about this deal. Rachel has no idea. Why would Rachel know? How would Rachel know that Yaakov was working in order to marry her? So what happens seven years later, after Yaakov finishes his seven years, which only he and Lavan know about, he comes to Lavan and says, He, by the way, doesn't even say Rachel. He says, give me my wife, my time has come. So Lavan does what? He doesn't want his older sister, his older daughter, to be embarrassed. And maybe he's afraid of her marketability, if you want to really read really him down. And so what does he do? He has a big party. And then he puts Leah in the, in the tent with Yaakov. Yaakov sees the girl coming in, assumes that's the girl who seven years ago he he contracted to marry, has beer with her, wakes up in the morning and says, boom, it's Leah. What do you do? Notice he doesn't yell at Leah. He yells at Lavan. Now, by the way, what's LaVon's answer? LaVon's answer is not gotcha. LaVon's answer is, are you out of your mind? How could I possibly marry off my younger daughter before I marry her? And by the way, you've been her seven years. Don't you know our local customs? Our local customs are that a girl doesn't get married till her older sisters are married off. What were you thinking? Notice, by the way, that Yaakov doesn't have a response to that. Now, you're going to tell me, well, Yaakov, you know, once you respond once to Yaakov, that's it. That's not true. Look at the end of our parsha When Lavan and Yaakov go at it, they both go at it. Here, Lavan says to him, We don't do such things in our place. And by the way, there is some very uh, covert, but not so covert, shall we say, in those words. We don't do such things in our place to put the younger before the older. Maybe in your place, you dress up as your older brother and steal brachot. We don't do stuff like that here. Notice there's a lot of muster going on here at Yaakov. But in any case, that's his, and that's his response to Yaakov. And Yaakov doesn't have a comeback. And Yaakov agrees. And by the way, Yaakov does not try to do, what, Jason, what you were suggesting, to turn around and say, okay, but I'm not married to Leah. He accepts it. And he agrees to say, okay, if, as long as I can marry Rachel, I'll work for a <clears throat> years afterwards. Fine. That's all That's all, um, agreed and understood. All right? But what that may mean here is that Lavan is the only guy who knows there's a deception going on. Rachel has no idea she's supposed to marry him. Leah doesn't know either until she finds out Yaakov had been working in order to marry Lavan's daughter, And I'm the eldest, so of course that's me. Leah has no reason to think it's any different. That's why years later, what does Leah say to Rachel? It's not enough, you took my husband? As far as Leah is concerned, Yaakov, she's the real wife, and Yaakov is her real husband, and Rachel's the latecomer. And by the way, Rachel doesn't have a comeback, because Rachel also doesn't know that originally Yaakov contracted to marry her. Neither of the girls know about this which means that the only person who's in on the deception is Lavan. But I'd like to suggest something perhaps even more radical if possible. If you take a look at the end of the Parsha, the introduction to the end of the Parsha, the last big scene in the Parsha is when Yaakov leaves, that is prefaced with this passage. V'ishmah Ben b'nei Lavan lemor." Yaakov suddenly hears Lavan's sons, who, by the way, didn't exist yet. They suddenly show up. And they're saying, Yaakov took all everything that our father owned. He made all of this wealth of his from our stuff. In other words, they're complaining that we're losing our inheritance. Yaakov looks at Lavan. Lavan is no longer looking at him like he was back in the day which means that Yaakov now senses an antipathy coming from Lavan, right? an antipathy coming from Lavan, in other words, Lavan now doesn't like him, as opposed to what it was like before. Which means, by the way, that when Yaakov looks at Lavan, even after the switch, and even after the seven days for Rachel, and after the next seven years, He's still looking at a friend. He's still looking at somebody who's, who's on his side. And now suddenly he feels that Lavan is against him because Lavan suddenly has sons, obviously born later, and the sons have grown up, and the sons are now complaining about their inheritance, and guess what? Blood is thicker than water. Okay, I get that. Which may be the proper answer to our question is, nobody knew about the deception because there was no deception. And that Yaakov doesn't look at Lavan as being a deceptive guy at this point. It plays out later. Because, again, Yaakov at one point, when he first got there, a month after getting there, said, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel. Leah is older, and the, of course everybody assumed that by the time that seven years came, Leah would probably already be on her second kid with her husband. Surprise, surprise, Leah's not married. It should have been pshita to everybody that Yaakov's going to marry Leah. There is no deception. And that's why Lavan's response works and Yaakov doesn't respond back. Doesn't have a comeback. And so therefore, when we look at this entire scene, we have to view it differently, away from the Midrash, just within the proper sense of the text. Another piece to this puzzle is that there aren't just Four players here. It's possible that there are six players here because in each scene, when Yaakov, in each scene of marriage, Lavan gives Leah to Yaakov, and before he wakes up in the morning, Zilpa's in there, which sounds like Zilpa is presented as now Leah's handmaid who's with her in the room. And the same thing with Bilhah. Maybe they are in the room, maybe not in the room, but they're part of the relationship which means that now we now have more people who are, we think, in on it. Which, of course, the larger the conspiracy, the harder it is to keep it quiet. What's the role of Zilpan Billah as another piece by itself? And that we have to look at. But I'd like to suggest that what we have here is not a, not a, a deception. But rather, the proper Noah, the proper custom of the, of the place and time understood, that Rachel had, knows nothing about the fact that she was promised to, to, uh, Yaakov. Leah knows nothing about that. And Leah does not come in assuming she's tricking anybody or anything of the sort. And that's why she can make the claim later on A Ma'at Et at Ishi. A different way of looking at the story. Now, why is this Midrash so significant? It's showing up in the Targum and it's showing up in Midrash Eicha. The Midrash about Rachel has an, a very powerful significance in its place in the Midrash. But as Pshutosh Mikra, very difficult to, to support it, and again I think that the Psukim argue actually against it. In any case, a different way of looking at the story.